This is ND Insider's Pot of Gold. Now, with all things Notre Dame football, here's Tom Noy, Mike Berardino, and Austin Huff. From the WNDU studios, your home to countdown to kickoff. This is the latest edition of Pot of Gold. He is Mike Berardino. I am Tom Noy. It is 10.48 on Wednesday morning, the week of the USC game, Mike. And as of yet, as of now, nobody over at the Notre Dame football offices has been fired. Marcus Freeman is still the head coach. Jared Parker is still the offensive coordinator. Al Golden is still the defensive coordinator. And as far as we know, all the position coaches are still the position coaches. Sorry, Notre Dame fans, and you know who you are after Notre Dame loses to Louisville 33-20 to and the solution to the Irish dropping to number 21 on the poll and 5-2 and on the season is fire everybody. Everybody's got to go. Marcus Freeman's in over his head. Jared Parker doesn't know how to pl- call plays. Al Golden, yeah, might as well get rid of him too. Calm down. That's not the way we do things. That's not the way Notre Dame does things. The Irish getting ready to face probably their toughest opponent, offensively anyway, in number 10 USC Saturday at what promises to be cold, windy, rainy Notre Dame Stadium. It's a redemption weekend for Marcus Freeman and everybody Irish coming off that loss to Louisville. Before we get into USC, before we start hearing Mike Berardino hum the the USC fight song, what the hell happened in Louisville? You were there. I was there. Yes. I had an overnight car ride home up I-65 and, and, and US-31 to think about it, and we've had a couple of days now. I still can't make sense of what happened in that second half where Notre Dame's up 10-7, to 7, and then all of a sudden everything goes to pieces, and you look up and they're down 33-13. What happened? Yeah, I was asked that same question on Sunday after staying in town and then visiting my 94-year-old uh, godmother. Uh, Marie Vitali, and she had the same question for me. <laughs> she did. She said the same thing, and of course, did she my, say fire uh, Marcus Freeman? No, too? but they just—they. Uh, I was surrounded by a lot of you know, card uh, nation people. Uh, my uh, my um, cousin uh, is a, a long time University of Louisville uh, doctor, and um, not for the team, but uh, you know, great. Uh, history there they've been there since the 80s and they all were in disbelief they were you know they were at the game a couple of them a couple of my cousins and they had they had, they put me on the spot just like that and i just wanted to eat cupcakes and uh, take a nap and that's uh, pretty much my daily routine <laughs> and now and you want to eat cupcakes and take a nap really instead of answering that question. where are the cupcakes where's the producer couch? jerry come on jerry you're in charge of the cupcakes. you know how much i get paid to do this you think i'm bringing cupcakes it's not yes. about that it's about pride it's about uh, you know serving others my uh, so i had no answers from my from my uh, godmother uh aunt marie no answers on that what what happened well uh but to you know this is a podcast so we'll take a swing at it um it, dare i say uh there might have been the the, the first time my uh, my radar uh, rose on this was um when maris leofow was asked uh do you even know who you're playing next week and he smiled and he said um Oh, yeah, because we don't like those guys very much. And emotionally, <laughs> that struck me. Because obviously, everybody knows, they all know who they're playing sure. throughout the court. And I'm not saying that they were, like, pr- practicing for Louisville but thinking about USC. But that just even that, you know, just that smile told me that they they wanted a shot at USC. Again, they want another shot at them because they weren't just beaten. They were embarrassed, even though not by the score, but by Caleb Williams, uh, Heisman, 
campaign. Mm-hmm. It was a. It was all about. It was a look at me thing. It was a lot of raised uh, knees and the and the stiff arming and and it was holding the football out as Jack Kaiser could not reach him uh, and uh, into the goal. And I they have they want another crack at this guy. The fingernails that he had painted. The and What he had painted on his yes, fingernails. Yes, and then I asked Riley Mills about that. And he said they did. I said, did you get close enough ever to see him? And he said, <laughs> no. But people, um, people, people uh, in his friend and family group texted him after the game the screenshots that were mm-hmm. out there right after the game, and uh, they'll use that as fuel. I mean, it, it lines up. You know, if USC had somehow survived or, or lost to, to Arizona, easily could have lost. They were down, they were down what seventeen nothing to a bad Arizona team. Uh, they would come in here with a whole set of different motivation. But I think the, it's, it lines up interesting. Notre Dame's catching a USC team that's coming off kind of its Duke moment where it survives something it shouldn't have and perhaps is even more vulnerable, um, certainly on defense. At Notre Dame, or at one point, Notre Dame led 10-7 in the second half at Louisville, whatever the heck they call that stadium, LNN, Credit Field, Union Stadium, whatever it is. They led 10-7, and then it got sideways in a hurry for a multitude of reasons, defensively, they were able able to, or they weren't able to to contain Louisville's big play guys. Their big play guys, Jawar Jordan, wind up making big plays. But from an offensive standpoint, is this a personnel thing, a Jared Parker thing, or just a fatigue thing? The way this Notre Dame offense has basically been unplugged since the Ohio State game. I don't think you can assign the uh, offensive problems to fatigue. Uh, that's more maybe a defensive. Uh, you could you can't even a- a- acknowledge that. Um, but Is it yes, an it's, injury it's thing? There. It's injury thing. It was certainly they got out of whack. Is that offense out of whack? Yes. Yes. Um, and you know, two of the the most re- the two leading receivers mm-hmm. for Sam Hartman. They're modest totals, but they were the two leading receivers for the two Jadens. and both were back, but very obviously limited. And he didn't even target Jaden Greathouse and uh, Jaden Thomas was lightly targeted and um, that took a toll I, th- I think the off- obviously if you're experimenting in game with your offensive line uh, so much for seeing it with one set of eyes you know see <laughs> how about how many, set of can eyes? Billy's can we use Billy's eyes too yeah okay <laughs> use Billy's eyes what about Andrew's eyes Andrew's eyes? Andrew's still here all right Andrew you're the center and, and, uh, and we're using center. Andrew's eyes uh, but no and that was good Andrew now close your eyes and go back to the sideline we're using Zeke's eyes uh, one set of eyes means that those five mm-hmm. basically can finish each other's sentences there's so much communication on the fly because and like this week I, i'm gonna get it in here right now you you gotta know where bear alexander is at all times ding you one gotta bear know alexander, like bear, i just bear alexander you cannot let him go unidentified unaccounted for the other thing that's happening I, it's I, hard for bear alexander to go unidentified as big as he is he's well he, he's a problem wherever lost, he goes they lost track of ashton gelati and friends <laughs> that's for, and that's and there was another name we you know these names but um this offensive line, uh, you know, and just in recent memory, has put a hurting mm-hmm. on USC and just run up 300-yard team rushing totals. Coming off, you know, those are different individuals, but the same O-line you. And uh, you're coming off a 28 rush for 44 yards, including five sacks, of course, of Sam Hartman. And uh, that's the fifth time, Tom, in 21 games of the Marcus Freeman era that Notre Dame has not reached triple figures in rushing Notre Dame. Uh, Paltry just stymied on the ground five times out of 21. 
uh, Marcus Freeman era games. And that's uh, th- if that doesn't give you motivation to punch somebody in the mouth here this week, I don't know what would. 44 total rushing yards against Louisville. Their rushing totals have gone down since the, the Ohio State game. I think it was 178. Duke was 158. And then now 44. You've got to be able to do some things offensively against USC because as we talked about in on Countdown to Kickoff with Chuck Freebie, they're good. There, there are some individuals, some really good individuals, like your man, Barry Alexander, on that USC defense. But collectively, this USC defense really stinks. So I think we, we'll be able to see Sam Hartman become, hopefully, the Sam Hartman we saw the first four weeks of the season. Maybe we can see Audric Estime run for 100 yards again because Sam Hartman has not been Sam Hartman. Audric Estime has not been Audric Estime. And this offense is just unwatchable right now for myriad reasons so yeah maybe the defense is the the defense of usc is is exactly what this notre dame offense needs this weekend oh yeah and more jeremiah love more touches for jeremiah love everyone's uh more jadarian price both of them yeah but love especially yeah sure absolutely but uh and the other thing that needs to be brought out this is important because um you know it's a rotate even estimate at times has blown his blitz pickup. Certainly mm-hmm. happened against Louisville. Jabron Payne has been overwhelmed back there at times. Um, there have been some breakdowns, no doubt, uh, when they're bringing the extra one or two or three rushers, and the the back has to make a split second decision on w- which guy to you know where to go and when to slip out. And um, it's, it's been botched too many times. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's been botched too many times and at the expense of Sam Hartman's rhythm, confidence, and uh, eye placement. Because this guy uh, you know, was so accurate early and always kept his, his eyes down the field. That's how they were stretching the field. And it's been more about, understandably, because he's getting hit so much, um, uh, he's, he's lowering his eyes, he's looking at the pass rush, and he's looking for escape routes instead of, Deep shots. He's a little squirrely in the pocket lately. It's been a few weeks like that, really since yes. Ohio State. Really, really since Central Michigan. Hit because? Him, hit him uh, because of a blown Rocco Spindler moment, right? Well, no, it, it, it's been since Central Michigan because, as we've yeah. talked about, that's when Sam Hartman got hurt mm-hmm. with his right leg. It was right leg, right? Um, Twisted it, it, there. As, yeah, well, it, yeah, and, and that was, he got rolled up on, and mm-hmm. I, we asked Sam, uh, we asked uh, Marcus Freeman about it, and after the game, and he said, yeah, Sam, Sam was he was he, he actually Marcus said he yelled at the or spoke to the officials and said, you know, protect our quarterback, <laughs> protect because our guy. He was limping, he was limping down the field, and um, and it was uh, and Sam was gesturing, you know, what's going on. He he got rolled up on, um, and there's no sense that it was a dirty play from Central Michigan because the guy didn't launch himself from a prone position, the, the old Brady rule, but one of the Brady rules. But uh, it, it looked painful, and it has to be, it can't be discounted as a, as a potential factor for why Sam Hartman has decided to get rid of the ball so much more quickly and why, you know, and, and the thing that counteracts it is, yeah, fourth and 16, he got it. Mm-hmm. But this past week, he slid. And sliding just fine, but he slid when he needed two more. And didn't get it. Didn't get it. He slid, thought he got the first down, signaled that he had gotten the first down. No. You don't get the first down when you slide in college football. Has to know that. Shouldn't a six-year guy know that? Right? <laughs> there you go. First down. 
afterward in the interview room at, at, at the stadium down in Louisville, whatever, l Stadium. Every time they say that, it sounds like Al-Anon. Al-Anon. Al-Anon Stadium. Al-Anon. L-N-N Federal Credit Union Stadium. A record crowd there Saturday night. Afterward in the interview room, Marcus Freeman took full responsibility, said, we need to, do, to, to look at everything, take a deep dive. How the heck do you take a deep dive in middle October <clears throat> with USC coming up? You can't. Like, you, if... If there are, there are so many issues that ail this Notre Dame football team, how do you fix them all in the course of six days? Yeah, I think that's uh, some things are said because uh, that's, uh, it's just kind of it's in, it's, it's in the, uh, the hard drive that way. And, uh, it's in the loss, lose a game hard drive, let's go to this. Same sort of thing was said after, you know, after the Marshall loss, you know, a deep dive. But uh, the idea of not being prepared, that certainly freaked a lot of people out. It was mm-hmm. stunning to hear it right out of the chute. Um, you know, it's not unusual for people to say we got to coach better. We got, you know, it's our fault. It's on us. We it's didn't have us. them ready. You know, there's some things that, but th- th- there was more. Th- um, it felt like it more than an X's and O's preparation. It felt like the the comment was, uh, you know, emotionally, uh, you know, f- focus, uh, whatever. Um, just willingness to, uh, you know, run up, r- run into the fire, uh, sort of thing. And 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 there was a lot of waiting around the whole first half. Uh, you know, seven seven. Terrible, terrible first half. And you just got a sense that uh, neither team really wanted to be there. And uh, so this idea that they ran into a snake pit, you know, a, a hornet's nest, all those things, uh, it wasn't like that no, until the second half. That game, really, Notre Dame could have been up two touchdowns at the half uh, playing just just decent football. And um, But they they waited. They, they, they let the, a team hang around, and, and, um, and then it went sideways. How does this get back on track now and this week? You just come out and you and you just you just run the ball right down their throats, I think, and then that'll open up uh, things in the back. And, and even if they st- stack the box, we you know we've got to give credit to uh, first what Mike Elko and Duke did. We have to give credit to what Louisville did, but it doesn't mean that USC would get away with it with Alex Grinch stacking the box because. Uh, although I must say, you know, Notre Dame does, they should be highly motivated for a variety of reasons. One of which is last year against USC, uh, they're held to 90 rushing yards. Um, and, and couldn't, you know, it was, it was the Drew Pine, Drew Pine show. Um, it wasn't much of a show. It was, but it was Drew Pine completion world and, uh, <laughs> 22 at 25. For so, how many yards? 112? Uh, but, uh, he, you know, he found Colsey when he needed him. And uh, he, Colsey will not play this week. Maybe after the bye week, uh, Marcus Freeman says. But, um, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're looking at a team that uh, can't tackle. You know, everybody's, and we like to bring it up, that Notre Dame's 71st in tackling efficiency, but the USC defense is 111th. That means there's only yeah. 20, 22 programs out there in FBS that, that are worse at wrapping up. Uh, I, I think that if you're, if you're a physical team, you know, you're a you're a smash mouth team. You're a offensive, you're win the trenches type team, and you just come off a, a game where well, two games where you're six for twenty eight on third down. It's time to to get back to being boring, predictable, and an a la the Clemson game last year. Uh, just just run it down their throats. So Notre Dame now five and two. We're seven games in. They get USC on Saturday at Notre Dame Stadium. Rain, wind, cold, predicted. The Irish coming off the loss to Louisville, try to avoid losing their second straight game, three of four. And if they lose three and four, three of four, they are a fourth and 16 conversion away from dropping all four of these games. 
Yeah, they're they're uh, remember to have eleven guys on the field away from beating <laughs> Ohio State. <laughs> but that is that is true. So we'll see what happens. That's the we're going to close the book on Louisville. We'll come back talk a little bit more about USC. Maybe have a couple of guests. Who knows what we're going to do here next on the Pot of Gold. So stay tuned. Back here on the edition of Pot of Gold with Mike Berardino, I'm Tom Noy, and we are joined by two-time Super Bowl champion, former Notre Dame defensive end, Justin Tuck. Justin, what's happening, my man? What's going on, gentlemen? How are you? Doing great. How's the, oh, weather, in, how's the weather in South Bend going to be uh, this weekend? Oh, it's oh, what it will oh, be now. What it is now will be different than this weekend. Right now, it's about 55 and sunny. We're looking at 40s and rain for Saturday against USC. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I, need, I, need, I need the wind to be blowing. I need, need some flurries. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take 27, you know, blistering snow and, and you know, 30-mile-per-hour winds. Okay, all these guys, all these players downplay it and say it's just another game, you know, it's just another opponent. But what does USC week mean to a Notre Dame football player? Yeah, you know, listen. They are. I I would say they are our biggest rivalry. I know the you know the the dis, the distance between the teams are probably the biggest of any big time rivalry. But USC and Notre Dame is, is a special game. It's a special weekend. Um, the history of these two teams, um, their successes uh, historically are you know I think bar none. All the successes that have come out of both of these schools, um, and we we definitely put them number one on our robbery list. And I think, you, you know, the USC teams will say the same thing about us. So, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be, it's going to be everything that you think about big time college rivalries. This one is going to check all the boxes in, in regards to that. Justin Tuck, um, you know what it's like to be a two time Super Bowl champion. Um, but uh, those USC games, uh, the, the, the bulk of your career didn't go your way. How tough was it? Uh, how motivating was <laughs> yeah. it? Uh, what, what do you take away? What's what's the high? What's the low uh, from those uh, USC meetings? I think the highs were you got the opportunity to compete against at the time probably the best uh, team in the country. And we ran. I, I was unfortunate to run against you know a couple of Heisman Trophy winners, three I think, uh, probably one of the best defensive. Um, safeties they ever play in the, the game in Troy Polamalu, you know the Reggie Bushes, the Matt Liners, the, the you know the Palmers of the world. Those teams were absolutely stacked, but it gave me personally a measuring stick of where I need to be if I was going to be the type of player that I wanted to be. And I, you know, personally had some great games against them, but as a team, and what's that's the that's the ultimate goal of the team outcome. We didn't do well, um, so I, you know, I. Um, I, every time I get the opportunity to see any of these guys that I played against at SC, I just talk about my NFL career records against them <laughs> versus you know, my records in college. So <laughs> these these Notre Dame defenses against Ohio State, against Duke, maybe the first half against Louisville, they've played well enough to win, but the offense seems to have let them down. When you're a defensive guy, how do you not let the frustration of what the offense isn't doing? How do you not that cloud your focus and, and still be a team guy? Yeah, I, I, listen. There's been no matter how good your defense are is, um, or if the, the, the shoes on other fit in the offense is, there's times of the defense we went out there and we didn't do our job either, mm-hmm. and the offense has has picked us up. And you know, you know, you're gonna run through some rough patches whether it's on the defense side of the ball, or the offense side of the ball. So I think as a, as a you know, in in terms of your question, 
anytime we had our offense that wasn't performing uh, in the the way in which we all knew it could, we just kind of looked at ourselves and said, how do we pick them up? How do we play above the X's and O's? And maybe we need to go out and score on defense. At the end of the day, right, it's all about um, making sure that you're being a team player because, you know, one side of the ball might have an off week or off, you know, two weeks for that matter. But at the end of the day, right, you're never going to win a game. You're never going to, especially with the schedule that the, the, the fighting Irish play, without having 22 players playing the best of their ability. And sometimes on defense, you need to pick your offense up. A three and out here, a turnover here, flipping the field and getting them that spark they needed. Because I know for a fact, you know, I played on some really good defenses throughout my career, but I also know that we, we, we didn't play our best on games and the offense flipped it for us. So I think that's how you look at it and, and continue to be a team player. You, um, Justin, I know uh, talking to Isaiah Foskey as he was on his way to uh, eclipsing your uh, career sack record here that you were a positive influence on him, someone that he could lean on. Sure. Uh, do you, you guys stay in touch? And uh, um, what, what, what was that like, handing off your uh, record that stood for so long? Listen, I, 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 I wanted I wanted Stefan Tua to come back for his senior year to, to break mm-hmm. my record as well. I, you know, I I never really broke I never really went out to like set records and like keep them in mind. I set them to like put them as a as a post for other guys to go get. Um, so I was super excited that Isaiah got the opportunity to break it. Um, I wish he would have put it a lot higher to be honest with you. So like that that puts the bar so much higher for the next guy coming in that you know. Every DN, every, every every rush in that comes in another name should look at that record and be like, that's something I want. So let me go get it. Um, so from that perspective, it's it's important to like, you know, congratulate and, you know, try our best to, to you know, for me personally, use my platform and help, help the, the Isaiah Foskies of the world and the guys who's going to come next to them. Because, you know, you set these records and hope that like someone goes and breaks them and they just continue to move the bar higher and higher. You're, you're early in your career at Notre Dame. You didn't play much. You didn't play at all as a freshman and then played very little as a sophomore. What kept you believing that Notre Dame was the right place for you and you could be as good as you were when you were here? Well, I, I looked at Notre Dame way, full, you know, way past just the football, the athletics. I looked at it as like, if football didn't work out, I was getting a phenomenal education. And, and that was always my focus when I talked about um, what I was doing as far as playing the sport of football, getting provided a, a opportunity to, you know, be a student athlete first. So for me, it was about, you know, let's do that first. But I also knew that like my time would come and I had to strike when the time was hot. So from that perspective, you know, yes, it was frustrating, um, but I knew eventually I was going to make it work. And, and, and God blessed me to have the opportunity and I took advantage of it. Justin, uh, what would it have been like for NIL and the portal to be there um, in your era of college football. I mean, it's something in a lot of ways that sort of uh, self-actualization uh, uh, it needed to come along at some point. But what a what a what a you know a, a minefield of uh, emotions and, yeah. and day-to-day distraction. Uh, what, what what do you make of it? Listen, I, I, I've always thought that athletes should get paid on their name, image, and likeness. That's something that regardless of what school you go to, what sport you play, God gave you that name, that image, that likeness. So you should be able to monetize it, especially when 
some other organization is monetizing off of you. So from that perspective, I would have loved to play in, in an opportunity to to be able to really get the opportunity to be a part of brands, be a part of organizations that these these athletes do. But it's it's a it's a it's a slippery slope. It has to be done the right way. It has to to make sense. And I think as as these these opportunities grow, you you will figure it out. But I think that's that's one of the things that I love about the you know, where we are now, it'll continue to grow, it'll continue to get better. And uh, I'm actually excited about these athletes. And that's one of the reasons why I'm excited about being there this weekend and representing uh, DirecTV and what they're doing as far as like bringing more exposure to this game and more opportunity to this game. And uh, again, I think it's a good thing. If you're lining up at defensive end this weekend, how do you slow Caleb Williams and who would he compare to maybe somebody you had to go against in your career? And Jens, I hate to do this. I have to run in about two minutes, but mm-hmm. I think Caleb Williams is the best athlete quarterback in this game right now. And it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to test ourselves. And I, I always look at it like, how do I get better? And playing against people like that, we need to go. So, uh, but like, guys, I have to run. I apologize, but uh, this has been great. And I, I look forward to seeing my Irish beat the USC this weekend. There you go. Justin, thanks for your time, my man. Thank you, Justin. Safe travels. Thank you, guys. Back on the pot of gold here for USC Week with Mike Berardino. I'm Tom Noy, and we are joined by a very special guest who has a little background with you playing against USC back in 1973. It is former Notre Dame running back Eric Panic. Eric, thanks for joining us. How is everything? Everything's fine. I'm doing well today. How are you doing? Awesome. Awesome. Now, when somebody mentions USC, what are some of the memories that come back to you? I like them. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was our arch rival to me at the time. And everybody said it was very important that we uh, shut them down, you know, because they, they beat us a year before. So that was a big part of why I wanted to beat them. They actually didn't. They beat you like six years in a row before you finally beat them in 1973. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely, they definitely beat a six row, and I I just don't want to talk about it because I, my uh, sophomore year, they they beat us, and then Anthony Davis had was going crazy and all that kind of stuff, and so it really bothered me. So I wanted to beat them that year. Eric uh, Pennick joining us, uh, and, and you have a uh, uh, your your new uh, uh, life story, an inspiring story. It's it, it's it's going to be uh, available. Uh, it's already available on Amazon. It's called uh, A Notre Dame Man: The Life, Lore, and Runs of Eric Pennick, and uh, you'll be back in South Bend, yeah. I'm told, uh, along with your co-author uh, uh, at uh, at the Steve bookstore. Mahler. Yes, Steve yes. Mahler. And uh, tell us yep. about the yep. signing that you have coming up. How much do you, on Saturday at 10 a.m., I'm told, game day. Uh, looking forward to, you must be looking forward to, to, to meeting old friends and making new ones. Well, definitely I'm looking forward to uh, meeting old friends. And I'm going to be there with Drew. Is going to be there also? That's Stephen's father, Drew Mahog. Mm-hmm. He yes. played in Notre Dame. He was a linebacker and a super linebacker and a super player. So I'm looking forward to seeing him. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody. It's going to be a good, good time. Going back to that 1973 team, what made that 73, 73 team so special for you guys? 
Well, in my opinion, we loved each other. We cared about each other and we wanted to do the best we possibly could for each other. And Errol was obviously, Errol was special. He was a coach. So that was very, very special. What made Errol such a good coach? He cared about us. Not just X's and O's. He cared about us as a person, as people. And we cared about him as a, as a man, as a coach. He was, that's what made him special. He cared. His coaches, Yanto and uh, Shui and Pagnet and uh, all the coaches cared about us. They cared about us every day. They cared about how we felt at night. They cared about what we did in the daytime. They checked on us. They took care of us. And that was made him special. Not just him, but all his coaches the same way. The, uh, the, the play, the moment, obviously, it's, uh, had a great career, uh, a lot of memories, but that 85-yard touchdown against USC, you, you come in motion on that play uh, and before that ball is snapped. Do you have a sense uh, that that could go, that you could take it to the house? Did, 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 was, did you get in the look that you wanted on that play? Um, at what point in that epic, uh, everlasting play did you, did you know that you were gone? The funny thing about it, I dream about stuff every night before I ran the ball. You know, what plays, how we're going to move, what's going to happen. So I saw myself in my dream running the ball. Not, I didn't know how far I was going. I didn't know it was going to be a touchdown. But I saw myself in in the run. And then when Tommy caught a high-low play and called my, in my side, that's when I knew it was, it was over. I, I didn't want anybody to touch me. <laughs> Nobody come close to me. I just ran. And the guys did the rest, Pomerico and and all the people blocked it for me. And so I I felt great. It was a great play. What's even that? Our best was even blocked. What's that feeling as a running back when you break away and you know nobody's going to catch you and it's just you in the end zone and the football? Well, that's the greatest feeling you can ever have. You know, that wasn't the only one, but that was, at the time that was the best feeling I've ever had. And I can't, I can't imagine anything better and anything greater at the time. In all your travels in 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 the last uh, half century, where's maybe the the most uh, surprising place or the farthest flung place halfway across the world? I don't know where. You're, you gave your name and somebody brought up that play. Well, when I was in my job, I was executive vice president of the company. And he found out that I played football because I didn't talk about it. And he, and he said, man, what, what about this play? And I said, well, Mr. Johansson, uh, I'm not really that concerned about the play, but it was 85 yards, and he, I had to tell him all about it. So that was a very exciting. Oh, yeah. I, the book I really wrote, I wrote the book because I want my grandkids to know about my life. And so that they don't have to ask, but they can. They know when I'm calling. They know I have something to think about. And so they do what they should do. You know, it's very important to have a legacy. Plus, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching, uh, and I'm a minister, and so 
that's that's the part I really want to talk about and really want to push forward for everybody because God changed me and made me a better man and I like that I like that but it started at Gilmore Academy High School and then Notre Dame and so I had a lot of pitfalls along the way but after that God has been involved in my life he's always involved in my life even before when I ran the touchdown and I realize now that it was Lord Almighty. How are you different because of God than maybe when you were at Notre Dame? Well, now I just find joy every every day. Today, uh, after this, I have to uh, minister to people here. Uh, and that's important. And when I was at Notre Dame, I was just happy. And I didn't know why I was always happy. But... When I got hurt, I was sad and didn't know how bad, how deep I had gone into depression. But when I found the Lord, well, God found me, he always had me, but it, he made a difference in my life. And so even with my leg being cut off, I'm able to praise the Lord. And I know that he has me here for a reason. And so I'm in, I, I'm in, I minister to people here and I talk to them about their lives, because there's some, a lot of the people here are sick and are old, and I understand all that. So I try to make sure they feel better. I find the joy of the Lord is far greater than the joy I had before. That's a big deal to me. That's important to me. That that makes my life. So your help. Your go ahead. You're helping people through tough times that they have in their lives, but how did you work through the tough times that you've had in your life? Well, initially, I really didn't work through them, mm-hmm. but I started to pray and ask God to, to help me so I can understand why I'm going through this. When my wife died, that was a big blow to me. It made me cry. And I really can't talk too much about it because it bothers me, but... uh. When she died, then I was ready to go. I was ready to die because I thought she was going to die. I was going to die before her. And so I I was waiting, and I didn't understand that. But I understand that God had other things for me to do. So now I understand what's going on. And so it's, it's, it's great to have the strength of the Lord, you know, on your side. I trust in him, and that's that makes a difference. So it makes a difference for me. My leg was cut off. I can't run. I use a prosthetic. I can't do a lot of things that I used to be able to do. But now God is there. My friends are here. And so I like that. It's, it's a positive thing for me to do. Talking with the Notre Dame great Eric Pennick. Um it, to hear his voice, it's, it's, I'm sure for a lot of our listeners, it's right back to 1973, but the life goes on and, and ups and downs, and they're all accounted for in, in his new uh, book, A Notre Dame Man, The Life, Lore, and Runs of Eric Pennick. He'll be signing copies and, and uh, meeting uh, fans, new and old, uh, at Notre Dame on campus on Saturday at 10 a.m. at the bookstore. Um, you mentioned Eric... Uh, that uh, you know, you, the night before your uh, epic eighty-five yard run, you you dreamt that you would be running the ball. Um, it, it, how often do you 
dream of uh, of just of just being able to run. You know, age goes on, and 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 you've had uh, health problems, but you persevere. But in our dreams, uh, we're made whole, right? So, what's uh, what is that like? Well, I don't dream about running the football anymore. I dream about what I'm going to say and the people I'm going to talk to when I do my ministry. Yes. Running is, is over. I dreamed about that because that was a part of my life and that was the most important, important part of my life at the time. But now, ministry here at the Pace Center is more important. So I dream about what I need to say that touches the hearts other people that I talk to. And that's important to me now. Uh, I believe that it's an incarcerated youth in particular that you minister to. Is that right? Or a key part of it? Um, what is your message when you first meet a, uh, a young person who, who might not, who just might not believe in second chances, might, might have no reason to believe that there's a future out there? What, what, how do you reach uh, young people who, who, have, who have found their, their path uh, there? I tell them, how can you believe in something that you don't know, but you can believe in? You can't believe in God. It's impossible. But I tr- say I tell them this: trust in, trust in the Lord, and lean not unto your own understanding. That's what I want to talk about even today in the ministry. And when people said, I talk to them about finding joy in their hearts, and, and when they're lonely. I talk about don't be lonely because you have to God in your life and you call on your father, Abba, Abba Father. And that's important to me. It's important that we can talk about God to whoever. I don't try to tell them that what God has done for them. I tell them what God is doing for me. I find joy. I'm able to walk in the spirit. And so they say, how can you do that? They ask me, how can you be so happy? Because I have God in my life. And if you want God in your life, just ask him. He'll be there. And that's why I tell everybody. So that's how I talk to people. Because I, I know that the only way you can feel true joy is joy of the Lord. Eric, do you feel like you've lived a blessed life? I feel like I've been blessed all my life. Even when through I lost my leg, and when I got hurt, and I've always been blessed. And I, I know I'm blessed forever. How often have you been able to return to campus, and what is the return this weekend going to be like for you? Well, I've only been able to come, I only wanted to come back to campus a couple of times, but. This I was there when Eric was had his funeral, but coming back this time is a big deal to me. It's important that I, I'm able to see everybody, maybe for, for the last time, and I want to be there to see all my friends and other guys. There's a lot of guys I haven't seen ever ever in a long time. After I left the school, I never saw them again. So. It's very important that I be there because this may be our last chance. People that don't know your story and they, they'll meet you in the bookstore this weekend. What do you want them to know about you and, and, and your struggles and your journeys and your ups and your downs and your successes and failures? I want them to know that 
like I said before, that God is the, is in the control of his lives, and they understand that straight and narrow, instead of crooked path, we all end up following that they have a blessed life and they'll be happy and you'll find joy in the Lord. That's important to me. That's what I want to know. That's what the book is about. It's the ups and downs and you don't pay attention to why everything went so good. And sometimes when you get off the path that God has got you on, everything goes so wrong. So, you know, you got to just bear with it and, and keep on praying and keep on moving forward and understand God's in your life and love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. That's what I wanted to understand. Do you still have a ring from 1973 championship season or, 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 or a memento that, that reminds you that, hey, 1973 was awesome? I hate to say this, but I had my, uh, somebody stole my ring. Mm-hmm. Oh. So I haven't had it in a long time. I'm thinking they can they can make but a I, new one for you. Yeah, you you got to have another name. Make I think a new we got to get you. the word out there. Eric Pennick uh, needs that championship ring now. Well, you just did it. So <laughs> if if anybody from Notre Dame is listening, please get this man a 1973 Justin's, championship whoever ring. Whoever was making it, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, it's got to got to happen. Um, I, Eric, I had a, a chance recently to talk to uh, Luther Bradley, who was uh, a freshman uh, that year, and yeah. uh, and and Luther, you know, we lost uh, uh, Ross Browner uh, not too long ago, and mm-hmm. uh, and and very sad. Uh, but you, and of course Willie Fry, we lost him too. But you, I, I wonder if you guys would practice uh, back then, where where you could uh, you know explain what it was like, good on good, ones against ones. What was it like to, to be hit by Browner or Fry? <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> Knocked the wind out of you, right? Coach, they, they hit too hard. That's when <laughs> when they were freshmen and because and they came on and played for this we scrimmage against them. They were tough. Nick Frederick was the same way. And Kevin Dosbridge, those guys are all the same way. Those guys, I used to say, put them on the first team, coach. Put them on the first team because they're trying to kill me. <laughs> they, they were just that tough. So yeah. And then, so I, then, what? What was it like to run away from Ross Browner and then Luther Bradley and those guys when you were finally able to get away from them? Well, I, that part was joy, you know, because <laughs> Ross was a. Nobody knows this, but Ross was a, a, a one of the state champion, uh, winning the state champion hurdler. He was a wow. hurdler, wow. eight hundred and eighty loads. He's from Cleveland. He's from Warren, Ohio. So he was down in the state, and he knows how to. He was like really, really fast. Now they put on some weight on him and stuff, but he was really, really fast. He's like two fifty, two sixty running the hurdles. So. <sighs> When you got away from him, you know you were on the right path. <laughs> Mike, with the, the, the name of the book and yes, uh, one more time. Yeah, if, and, uh, this is Eric Pennick joining us, and uh, we're so thankful that you, that you made time for us, and, we, and we're looking forward to uh, your visit, your return back to Notre Dame. But the book is A Notre Dame Man, The Life, Lore, and Runs of Eric Pennick. 
Um, it's available on Amazon right now. If you're not going to be able to be in, in on campus uh, and you and you're listening to us, so we recommend that you find it there. Um, it's uh, uplifting. Just a few minutes here with Eric today. Uh, you know the joy. The word joy uh, it keeps coming up, and and it's possible to be in your presence even virtually and not and not pick up on that. We 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 thank you so much for making time for us and and uh, and, and safe travels here to campus and enjoy yeah, enjoy USC uh, USC's visit to Notre Dame and and uh, and and all the well justified uh, references. To 1973. Notre Dame gets you a win over USC, and hopefully, more importantly, they get you that 73 national championship ring back, Eric. Mm-hmm. The final moments on an interesting pot of gold edition here on a midweek before USC. Mike Berardino and Tom Noy, we just got done talking with Eric Pennick. We've talked with Justin Tuck. And can we please get Eric Pennick? What an unbelievable story this guy has and what he's been through in losing his left leg to diabetes. Uh, it also had an, an old ankle injury that, that may or may not have exacerbated that situation. But Eric Pennick, what a story that would be for him to come back to Notre Dame Stadium where he has said, and honestly, and said in the interview, that this might be the last time that at, at 70 years old, dealing with the health issues that he's dealt with, that he can come back to Notre Dame Stadium and, and take in everything, what that campus, what that football program means to him, what would it mean for him to be down on the field and to be presented with a replacement 1973 National Championship ring, a ring that was stolen from him some time ago? Man, that, that like, we've seen some presentations during halftime, during the, uh, all the television breaks. What kind of a presentation would that be on Saturday night against USC to see Eric Pennick get a replacement national championship ring. That would be worth staying in your seat and not going back to see <laughs> what's in the media dining room at halftime, right? It's got to be in the works. It's got to uh, be. It's gotta sp- any, and if it, it hadn't been and after our interview with Eric, uh, who was kind enough to join us, yes, it, I, I'm all 100% in. Uh, you, know, uh, you can only honor the fencing team uh, so many times. True. Somebody from Notre Dame listens to this podcast. If they don't, make, let, them, let them know, hey, this would be an awesome gesture from, from the University of Notre Dame to get Eric Pennick a national championship ring Saturday against USC. And speaking of USC, do we need to speak of USC? Yeah, probably. USC's offense, total offense, fourth in the country, 523 yards per game. Scoring offense, first in the country, 51.8 yards per game. Caleb Williams, we barely mentioned Caleb Williams, and... One of the reasons that we filled out our, pre, our preseason predictions and one of the prediction question was, who are the three players that will be finalists for the Heisman Trophy winner, uh, for the Heisman Trophy in the ceremony in December in New York City? I did not. What an idiot that I am. I did not put Caleb Williams down because I thought you win the Heisman Trophy as a, a sophomore. You've got one year left before you go on to the NFL. There's no way Caleb Williams is going to be anywhere close to what he was last year, and he's he's not, because you know what? He's better. He could be better than being the Heisman Trophy winner and a unanimous All-American last year in what he does with his arm. He's completing 70% of his passes. That's ridiculous. So how do you stop USC? Can you stop USC? Nobody else has done it. Arizona almost did it in overtime. How do you stop these guys? Yeah, I'm thinking Dan Patrick, you can only hope to contain him. <laughs> uh, 
they uh, they're going to get theirs. They're going to get theirs. That's fine. Well, one of the things that uh, we talked about with Chuck Freebie is that mm-hmm. you got to make sure that you're rolling. You, you, you don't want to experiment on the offensive line, but that front seven, really, though, there, there's going to be people who are going to have to uh, just to spell the starters. There's going to have to be uh, some people step up who perhaps haven't had their Notre Dame moment yet, their quintessential moment um, among the, the up-and-comers. You know, you, you, th- you think of Jalen Sneed in a moment like this, watching him uh, chase uh, Jack Plummer, who's uh, infinitely more gettable. But this <laughs> is a guy, uh, Sneed's got the, the, the raw skill um, to, to, to run down Caleb Williams, to make him uncomfortable. They're going to have to get home. They only got home. You know, last year you, you covered that game after I hit a deer. And um, uh, that's know, a whole nother podcast. I don't, think, story. I don't think Notre Dame can send a deer onto the onto the field, but you know, and hope that Caleb Williams runs into. Him. But that might it might be helpful. To, you know, if you, you play try to play defense with ten against Ohio State, maybe play with the twelve with one of the twelve being a deer. Uh, but, the the um, deer is unavailable. For unavailable. Comment, by the the way. Deer is deer is questionable for the game. <laughs> can they the, send an Aztec? The uh, Aztec. <laughs> you know, I saw him at one point with. Uh, with seven DBs, but um, it's uh, it was pretty pretty weird alignment. Uh, so they'll I think they're going to drop eight. Uh, they're going to have to give them different looks at times. They're going to have because he's just willing to sit back there. They talk about is. winning the interval is five seconds, and and Al Golden talked Kenny Minchie, By the way, if Notre Dame gets this done this week, if it can just slow, if it can just hang with Caleb Williams and keep him from going off. Kenny Minchie's work on the scout team is going to have to be a big part of the story. It's already a part of him simulating as best you can as mm-hmm. a as a freshman quarterback the Caleb Williams experience. And I get well, how much fun must that be to just be you know of course they're going to hit you right. He's going to run around, but he's going to get hit. He's going to get hit. Kenny Minchie uh, is is extending plays. You know, I'm sure you know spinning out of. Uh, tough spots and 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 has you know perhaps and they're saying he's and he's showing that, that arm talent because it's not just Caleb Williams avoiding sack and and you know uh, and and extending a play 10 12 seconds and making these 300 pounders try to chase him down it's then having like you say the chance to, the ability to throw a laser across the field uh 40 yards down the field um you know and and, and beat you that way two bad tackling teams uh, there's going to be breakaways going to be explosive plays uh, it's gonna even be, in the rain. Yeah, I think so. And and um, but uh, there is you just you can't get frustrated. I think last year Notre Dame got frustrated by Caleb Williams uh, with the running for for certain. Uh, his factual passing numbers were kind of modest. Eighteen of twenty two. He was accurate. Two hundred and thirty two yards. One touchdown through the air, and no interceptions. He was sacked twice. Uh, the people who sacked him are gone. Isaiah Foskey, one and a half sacks, and uh, Jason Adamalola with a half sack on that one. But um, they'll have to be new heroes if it's going to happen. I do think USC is vulnerable. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think they're a super team. I actually would. I think a lot of people would say they're the third best team in the Pac-12 as it stands. And so Oregon and Washington are more well-rounded teams. But it's USC that's Notre Dame's rival. It's the jeweled shillelagh that Notre Dame wants back in the trophy case. And um, and that it's going to be a, a tall order, but it's doable. It's a weird team because as good as they are offensively, they're that porous defensively. They they rank tied for seventy six in scoring defense at twenty seven points per game. Third down conversion defense seventy fourth. Fourth down conversion defense tied for ninety second. Red zone defense 
How about 120th in the country? So there are points, there are yards, there are chunk plays there to be had for this Notre Dame offense. As long as this Notre Dame offense looks and feels and plays like it did in the first four games of the season before Ohio State, maybe Sam Hartman gets going. Maybe Jared Parker dials something up and taps into something. Again, we've talked about they've got to run the ball. You're not going to beat USC running for only 44 yards per game. But if you can find the areas, individually, we've said they're, they're impressive, but collectively, not so much. So offensively, it would be really, be really odd to see Notre Dame struggle to get out of the teens for points like they have the last couple of weeks. Well, here, let me ask this question. It can yes. lead us into score predictions, I think, pretty well. Okay. You know, Look at you. Producer Jerry coming through. Surprise. It's been an episode of, from God. Um, but if this game feels like it's a number. Who hits what number first? You know, 30, 40. Who, what is that number that the team that wins hits? Because you know both defenses are going to have a tough time stopping either side. 40. So it's first to 40 I'm saying wins first, this game? I'm saying first to 30 because of the weather. You don't know what the weather situation is. And every time you expect like a big-time scoring game, we thought that might happen against Ohio State. Didn't happen. It was a defensive struggle. There'll be points, but they'll also. I, I think the weather might play a role in it. So I th- I'm saying first to 30 wins this game. Mike Berardino says first to 40. So who's scoring over 40? I'm saying... Uh, <laughs> You know, Notre Ooh. Dame's still favored in this game. By the way. Uh, unbelievable. Notre Dame, Notre Dame well, Vegas is, is trying to take people's money. Yeah. Vegas, Whenever we no. think of a Vegas Ve- line, it's Vegas, a, no, Vegas it's knows. wants to have equal action on both sides. That's the, the line is not a prediction in itself. It's to balance the action so that the 10% cut, the VIG, uh, works to the house. <laughs> but uh, two-and-a-half point favorite, it opened at two. It was before Notre Dame ever took the field at Louisville. It was a two-point future favorite against... USC and then it, it's actually increased. I think I think that holds up uh, uh, essentially. I'm not sure they'll cover. So I'm saying 41-39. Producer Jerry Notre Dame. Look and at Caleb, you, Caleb Williams with an ungodly two point conversion last week against Arizona. I think this time he's stopped on a two point conversion. It's just it's one of those just another classic USC uh, Notre Dame game and Notre Dame's uh, uh, going to have just a little bit more in the tank. So Notre Dame wins 41-39. That's what I got. Did you say that on Countdown to Kickoff? I did. You did? Yeah, you weren't listening. Why you, was I not listening I to said, that? no, I'm, I'm sticking with it. You're, going with the, you're all Irish all the way. Going Let's go. Into the year, I, I, <laughs> going into the year, I thought that, you know, I thought Notre Dame would be a three-loss team. That's on that's on videotape here, unless you deleted it. And uh, I said that on the couch, on the couch episode. On the couch episode. When I was episodes. on the couch, I was sitting up, but I was on the couch. And I said it feels like a nine uh, nine and three regular season with um, splitting the two marquee home games that under the lights and uh, you know I did, I figured at that time more likely that the you know that, that it would go exactly this way so um, that's what I got uh, I'm gonna stick with the the split Notre Dame's gonna get you know one and one on Ohio State could you know we can't look back but uh, that's what I got. The vibe I had from Ohio State is different than the vibe I'm getting from Ohio from USC being over on campus on Tuesday, talking with the players. I think they're trying to convince themselves that they're a good team. They better go out and show it. If not, I think USC comes in here and rolls 38-28 USC. So not picking the Irish this week. We'll see what happens. We will not be here next week. We get the week off. We're both going on vacation. Well-deserved vacation, by the way. So... Mike Berardino's t- picking the Irish. 
I'm picking USC. If this game comes down to a last-second play or a memorable moment or 10 men on the field, who knows? We may or may not be back here on Sunday to talk about Notre Dame and USC. If not, we will talk to you in a couple of weeks. This has been the Pot of Gold from the WNDU Studios, your home for Countdown to Kickoff. This is ND Insider's Pot of Gold. Now, with all things Notre Dame football, here's Tom Noy, Mike Berardino, and Austin Huff.